Welcome to season three of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two, and you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings these videos on youtube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast in this episode of the yoga therapy hour i talked to dr felicity malloy from auckland new zealand and the beginning of the podcast is a little bit different because we're really just talking about the landscape of yoga therapy in New Zealand, which is at the very preliminary stages. And I think there's a lot of countries around the world that could relate to this first 15 minutes of the interview, looking at ways to grow yoga therapy, to pair with other universities and accreditation bodies to try to get yoga therapy to grow in those countries. What does that take? How long does it take? All of these wonderful questions for the up and coming or emerging field of yoga therapy, especially in countries that don't have an actual accreditation or credentialing for schools and individuals in yoga therapy. And we talk about taking the the modular system of learning yoga therapy. So maybe there's some teachers that are doing a 200 hour or a 300 hour training in yoga therapy. How could people take those hours and transfer them into an IAYT accredited school if they wanted to, or maybe transfer them to Australia, who does have a yoga therapy kind of accrediting body. You know, what are the possibilities there? So I found it very interesting. I'm fascinated by yoga therapy around the world and what's happening and getting us all on the same page. So we kind of understand what the landscape is in all the different countries. And that's a big part of this podcast. But then the the real topic that I had wanted to discuss is fascia. Fascia is this up and coming system of the body as, as Dr. Malloy talks about that is our fascia a system just like our cardiovascular system, our endocrine system, our nervous system? Have we discovered a new system of the body? And she goes into great detail talking about yoga, but also her experience with body work about what is happening to the fascia when it gets dried out or when it gets kind of stuck, when it loses its vitality, what we might in yoga call prana or life force. And what are the different ways we can touch in order to kind of rebalance that or bring some homeostasis? What are some of the different tools and technologies like balls for fascial work or like a foam roller? Just a really fascinating discussion that I think many of you are going to love to hear. So put your seatbelt on. She is a very, very high level, intelligent woman who's bringing many, many fields of study together from yoga and Ayurveda to traditional Chinese medicine to indigenous culture, Thomas Myers and his work on anatomy trains, Candace Pert talking about the molecules of emotion. She's just bringing it all together. And I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I know I did. (laughs) 
Today, I welcome Dr. Felicity Malloy from Auckland, New Zealand. Thank you for coming and being up so early. It's 5.30 in the morning there. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. I'm really excited to find out what our conversation. So the reason that I wanted to ask you to be on the podcast, and we have worked very hard over a few months to get you here, is that I had met you at the Global Yoga Therapy Consortium in 2018 in Japan. And I was so inspired by all of the people that came together from so many countries because it showed me that yoga therapy is alive and well all over the world and that I wasn't alone on my little mountaintop doing my little thing, that there was actually people from all over that cared about what I care about. So how did you get interested in yoga therapy living in New Zealand? I have been interested in body therapies ever since I was an injured dancer. (laughs) And I realized that there was a lot of skill to be found in both preventing and managing injury. So I undertook a diploma program with a college called Wellpark College of Natural Therapies here in New Zealand. It was in massage, but there was a strong interest in a whole range of esoteric and etheric kind of modalities as well. And one of them that particularly interested me was craniosacral therapy. The man who was teaching at Joseph Matzel was a Buddhist monk. And I just started to get a sense that there was way more about the human body than just trying to stick my legs in the air or do a fantastic jump <laughs> and and the whole problem of injury. I had been practicing yoga, Iyengar yoga, since I was about 16. And I went away and practiced through the Iyengar book, actually, when I had one of the injuries that was really going to keep, get me off the stage. And through that process, came to understand therapeutic value of yoga. I haven't studied as a yoga therapist, but in the world that I work in, which is program development or kind of quality assurance for new marginalized kind of programs, I was working eventually back at Wellpark College and doing some of the quality assurance and then program leader for the two yoga programs that was at Wellpark College, um, which was being run by two Amazing people, uh, Shrida and Pooja Medella, who are well-known in this Auckland space. And they had set up a yoga therapy program that was a modular kind of program. And it was quite reliant on an anatomical view approach to yoga, which is interesting for me. I was thinking, what are the ways that yoga therapy can reach humans who are injured or have unwellness different states? So eventually, I think it was through the Global Consortium, I was able to hear the different ways that yoga therapists were drawing on other health modalities, particularly, say, psychology, to understand what yoga therapy does. It was just an intensively enriching experience to be in Japan with a wide range of yoga therapists. So I do body work and I do one-on-one yoga, but I wouldn't distinguish myself as a yoga therapist per se. I've just had this kind of very, I don't know how to describe it other than a very enriching influencing of what yoga therapy can do. And I'm really interested in supporting development of those kinds of qualifications here as well. Eventually, Amy, I'll probably do a qualification. I'm one of those lifelong learner people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just saw a master's in pain the other day at an Italian university here. And I just thought, oh, I think I need to do that as well. So it's not gathering qualifications. It's just extending those kind of curiosities into different realms. Yeah. So- Is it safe to say that in New Zealand at this time, there isn't an official yoga therapy credential? That's a a great question. There was one. uh, This company called the New Zealand Qualifications Authority here and Wellpark College had this accreditation through the national governmental scheme, which meant students could be funded to do their qualification, which is fantastic. And some of those therapists are now managing their own ways of doing it through, say, 
IAYT or Yoga Australia or and listed on the Yoga New Zealand website. I just had a really good look the other day. There's some really experienced people. There's a Barbara Coley, she's Fasta Yoga Therapy, and she runs a program developed by Dr. Ganesh Mohan. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then Swami Kamakaruna Saraswati, she's New Zealand-based IAYT certified yoga therapist. And I'm bringing their names up because they run modular kind of programs to support mm-hmm. people who may have previous qualifications or credentials or are moving towards getting those yoga therapist credentials. Usually then they would probably end up in an Australian kind of training environment, which by the way, has much less support from government as I understand it, as New Zealand had. Yeah, we've currently got a huge educational reform going on. So I've been working with Yoga New Zealand to try and bring just gently nudge the qualification back into that national system. Yeah. So many things that you're saying are interesting to me, you know, for Mm. the countries who maybe don't have a full on credential or accreditation Mm. body yet, or maybe they had one and now they don't. Mm. I love Mm. this idea about offering modular learning that can then be transferred into Mm. if wanted a CIAYT credential, you know, Mm. probably three calls per week where Mm. students have taken some classes with a non-IAYT accredited school and they want to transfer it and we can all transfer in up to 300 hours. So I love that Mm. approach that even, even though maybe there's not Mm. official credential body, there Mm. is study yoga therapy and then transfer it into another program. Yoga New Zealand eventuated out of Yoga Australia. They were they were our kind of mother company, I suppose, organization. And Yoga New Zealand, there are some of the council owned, I think, are already working on the yoga therapy credentialing process. We've done a teacher training provider process already. So that's their next step. I know, I know that. And I agree with you. If For me, in that quality assurance mode, it's lovely to know that these things are transferable, that you don't have to go to a certain school, say, to be able to qualify for the work that you can do. I guess particularly living in New Zealand, which is pretty much on the other end of the world, we have to figure out ways to be able to ensure that both there's great people working here with their skill sets and that they can speak to the qualifications, the consistency that comes out of any other area. Yeah. We've got these things, Amy, at the moment called Sangha. I just presented yesterday and we were just talking to each other, recognizing again in New Zealand, weirdly, there's so many individuals here that are so good at what they do but we rarely even talk to each other because we're all in our own tiny little worlds and mm. Yoga New Zealand is just starting to slowly get traction with the communities, the different communities. So, yeah, it's a it's an interesting space living here. Yeah. It, it reminds me of at the Global Yoga Therapy Consortium in 2018, we had tiny little countries like Vietnam there and mm. and there was still yoga therapy in those countries, but they're, mm. they're just kind of this little Island in the big ocean. Yeah. Yeah. There has to be a way for us all to stay connected and, mm. you know, everything takes IYT took 30 years to get mm. a place where they were accrediting schools. So mm if someone in a country that maybe doesn't have a yoga therapy credential yet and they want one, I mean, that could be a lifelong labor of love. Mm, I think it is. I think that's what's happening here. This Jane Hardcastle and Heather Robinson, these two amazing people have got that vision and Karuna, as I was talking about before, and Barbara Coley. I think it's sometimes you can get caught up in the problem of funding or the problem of who pays who what and how that is managed. That's why for me, maintaining the links with the National Qualifications Authority maps the space which could then, you know, create, I mean, basically student loans is the the baseline and funding for fees, you know, that sort of equation. (laughs) Boring stuff, Amy, but I don't find boring practical. Yeah, yeah. 
everybody I talk to wants to take a yoga therapy program, but can they afford it? And if they could get mm. some kind of government assistance, or yeah. stuff, it would change the trajectory of the field for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that boring yeah. policy stuff actually is mm. a big motivator mm. for the field, even though not that many people are interested in mm. doing work. I mean, you're, you're telling me that you're kind of also on your, your other part of your life, you're a contract worker for universities. Mm. I think that type of work is what's needed in the field to mm. push it to the next level. Mm. Yeah. I was saying before we started about this recent work it was an old program but it was in uh, it had been fragmented over the years and what what i was asked to do was to sort of develop a role of advocacy in the healthcare system so with my mind <laughs> i thought okay let's mention yoga therapy as one of the potential networking or referral modalities massage therapy osteopathy you know alongside sitting alongside the wealth of knowledge in Western medical science or Eastern medical science, you know, that is there to have a person who recognizes that they are a conduit of information and it's all related to the duty of care to a person. There's an interesting thing happening here with the new health reform with something called Fano-centered care, which is an holistic approach anyway to the individual as an acceptance that they are in relation with others. They have a family, they have financial commitments, they have social commitments, spiritual commitments, all these different commitments. So right within the governmental health system, it's very new and people are quite resistant to the whole thing. There is a, a holistic pivot inside there. So there's loads of opportunity if we can speak to those trajectories, as you say, and start to bring about change by just a, a sort of gentle insistence that there is more than health interventions, you know, medicines, surgery, you know. So May on. I ask what the resistance is? Because here in the U.S., so many people want that holistic, whole person care. They don't want to just be given a pill or a surgery. Yeah. They want to change their lifestyle and yeah but what's what is the pushback Um, i'm going to name it and it'll be a little strange way but this is i'm just going to name it and own it as well we live in a bicultural environment here in new zealand the maori people different iwi different tribes but are collectively known as maori are the first people of this land that not actually but they they have created this incredible intensively it's like a metaphorical environment where the language speaks to holism really clearly and then we've got say colonizing you know approaches and priorities and you know that that have come out of just the victorian era really so this is this groundswell of trying to hear what the holism of the indigenous people have to say sufficiently to embed it in governmental priorities. So there are plenty of people who resist that. They just go, why do we have to do that? They're a minority, you know, just generalizing speak there. But I just, I don't know if we could just recognize that what the tiao, it's the worldview of Māori speaks to, I think we would be moving faster along this holistic track. Yeah, so the resistance is, I don't even know if you call it racial. I just think it's resistance to recognizing that other worldviews are critical, you know, even for sustainability and ecology and all the other major things that are happening at the moment, yeah. This is beautiful worldview. Yeah. People that have been in power don't want to give up what they've gained in that power. Mm. What they don't realize is these indigenous ways were here long before any of our colonialist Mm. mindsets. Mm. (laughs) They have some power. And the idea of power is so interesting. And that's the weird shift that's happened probably through the pandemic. The government has embedded holism into the system 
And people are going, well, you're not a very good government for doing that because we are used to your position of power. So they're alleviating power, but people are, I think, freaking out about that. And this, this is very much a personal view. I'm not really a social media kind of woman or any of that. I just read a lot of the documents and listen and think about these things, yeah, through this particular lens, yeah. Is that due to your prime minister, Jacinda? I mean, what what is the driving force? Yeah, you could argue that it's the Labour government. It's We're very kind of middle-of-the-road kind of governmental space here, I think. So when you swing to a national government, then you're more likely to talk about finance. If you swing to a Labour, you're more likely to talk about people. But yeah, Jacinda Ardern and her team, not just her, she's an amazing stateswoman. Um, but also there was a previous Prime Minister, Helen Clark, who set up a lot of these kind of priorities, I think. And and, and there are people in the national government doing the same. Yeah. And I think also as an Indigenous group, Māori people are really clear. They don't sit back. There is a, the victim story of the colonizing history, but essentially the academic, the you know the people that are just really pushing us forward are very strident, clear, really clear people. Yeah, I'm just really talking from a personal view, by the way. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's switch directions a little bit. I find all of yeah. this fascinating. And yeah. one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today is that you have really been studying this idea of fascia. So let's just start by defining what is fascia. Uh, I think it was in 2017 by some really fantastic people. Robert Schleip was one. Great woman here as well. His name will come to me shortly who got together as a team and developed a proposal that there is a terminology that supports fascia as being its own body system, like the endocrine, like the nervous system, like the respiratory and so on. Of course, that creates a sense of the discrete system within the human organism, which is problematic to a huge degree. But the beauty of fascia is that it's connective and the the connectivity of it is where I get excited. I was a dance performer, as I always said, an injured dance performer. So I used to be able to use different areas of a muscle to be able to continue to do the dance moves that I'd been choreographed on. And I used to think, what is going on there? So I came across a woman, Candice Pert, who talks about memory within the body tissue but she also talks about the molecules of emotion. That's the name of her text. And I thought, I've got to figure out, is performance body memory? Is movement body memory? So I had to find something in the body that wasn't muscle and wasn't bone and wasn't, say, the other the organs. You could go down the gut track here, but let's not. So I, I came across ages ago, also through studying Ayurveda, Mama points, and also the meridians in Chinese system. I thought, what, what are those things? So I also got it down the track of embryology and how embryo formed through Bonnie Cohen's incredible somatic work. So I just started pulling all this together and, of course, came across Thomas Myers, Lesendak, you know, the anatomy trains where Thomas Myers has understood the connectivity of fascia. So I take it back into two yogi aspects, chakras, how that there are chakras, that the diaphragms are physiological, and the nadis, that there is literally a connective range within the human body, and that nadis connective range expands out of the body. So you could probably hear I'm trying to navigate or mediate this kind of Eastern understanding of human tissue and this Western system of human tissue, which is connective tissue, which is it's formed out of the mesoderm, I think, in the em embryo, starts to kind of 
it's just beautiful. I can't, it's just open up into the human body. So that idea of expression is an unfolding. So I, I have this kind of, again, this metaphorical or pictorial understanding of fascia, which I draw on both in yoga practice, but also for body work when I'm massaging others. But this kind of intense interest keeps me <laughs> kind of figuring it out. Yeah. It's a beautiful electrical kind of circuitry, mm. for want of a better word. And and the the beauty of it is way back when the ovum is generating a new life, because that's part of my interest is what that moment when a life really, I'm not talking about the abortion, anti-abortion debate at all here. I'm just talking about when life becomes separate from the mother life, say. Just fascinating stuff, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's a real curiosity. Yeah. I think one of the beautiful things about being a lifelong learner and being in the field that we're in is that things are opening up before our eyes that work with yeah. tears, Candace Perk. Yeah. Like, mm. We are on the cutting edge of consciousness and mm. understanding what it means to be human and mm. how, how mm. did we get in this body and <laughs> how come when I don't yeah. drink enough water, I feel like crap and I think something happened with my fascia. Right? Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it does. It's it, The body's this beautiful filter system, so it just gets clogged. Uh, you know, that's the simplest explanation. And water, it needs water to to maintain the filters, the variety of filters. It's very much like the meridian. You know how the, each of the meridians have, belongs to an organ. So it's just as the tissue is formed and expands and releases, it requires nutrition, both prana and water. Yeah. You know, I had yeah. that. Experience yesterday, I scheduled myself too full. And by the end of the day, all my fascia just felt completely contracted. I was dehydrated <laughs> and talked too much. So my tongue hurt even more so. And this goes to the point about the noddies. I felt like I had too much input in terms of mm. talking to people, taking in mm. information. I felt clogged, not just mm. in the dehydrated way, but also in the mm. way like, I put too much in. I, I couldn't digest all yeah. questions. Yeah. My question to you is, does that have to do with my fascia? Because to me, it feels like it does. Not just the hydration aspect, but taking too much in and not being able to filter it. New mm. and relationships and all of it. Do you think there's a connection there? I probably would have to go back to Candace Perk's kind of theories which is the molecules of emotion that sit in the cells. So I haven't thought about that question as a, as trying to figure out an answer, but I imagine that the bodies, if you even go in a group, say grosser level, the posture, your posture is coordinated around receiving. So you're, you're pulling in. So the muscles will be sitting in a contracted state in relation to your, say, undivided attention at that time. So I can imagine that they go into what I would call, what I call a default position. They will find their way back to the, the simplest way of sitting, which will create loading. And the loading, if we think about it in relation to emotion not as in delight you know the the kind of again this expansive kind of emotions but actually recording recording the experience of what you're hearing not just the listening you can see how that all becomes a block blocking within the body's tissues yeah which i imagine i'm making a leap here that that would be accepted by fascia because fascia will orient itself around your posture it does it very quickly. It creates it. The, it's a gel sole, so it has what's called a thixotrophic effect, which means that it'll harden into the posture quite quickly. Yeah. So I have experienced yes. that in my body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too much sitting yeah, at the computer, and I feel yeah. like the gel-like substance has turned into cement. And 
I literally have to break it up. Yeah, yeah. Getting into water is the quickest way of Mm. And what happens that... Is that that the water is actually coming into the cells or what, what is the mechanism? Yes, it floods the cells, yeah, and creates back into that osmosis kind mm-hmm. of approach where the cells start to release and become gel-like, yeah. I think it's Dean Ewan who talks about it as a crystalline structure. Mm. So it hardens and becomes more crystal or softens and becomes more gel. Like this ties into autoimmune, it ties into protein. Yes, yeah, very much so. And that's what I'm saying. We could go into gut health really easily here, but Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a big subject to tackle. Yeah. So I'm on the early days of it. What are some of the (laughs) other ways that we can move the fascia, get the blockages to release? What Mm. besides what you said? Mm. Is just mm. movement in general, I would imagine. Movement, yeah. That's Thomas Myers will go back to movement. But, you know, people go for a run, go for a walk, getting into water. But getting into water, you don't necessarily have to move much. Mm-hmm. So Feldenkrais, you know, all of the, the very gentle somatic kind of experiencing movement, hella work mm-hmm. is another really good, yeah. And in terms of yoga, I think the practice that I'm kind of curious about, again, it's early days, maybe three or four years, but um, is yoga nidra. And I'm curious about what that's doing in terms of, they're talking about layers of consciousness as though they were the koshas, you know, the Mm -hmm. kind of externalizing layers. But I suspect yoga nidra is layers of consciousness in the microorganism, the micro layers within the body as well i'm i'm not sure but um i'm just kind of curious as to what that does yeah sleep sleep will do some work yeah i agree with you you know especially when we do the body rotation in yoga nidra and you put your attention at all these different points yeah yeah a really interesting experience that i have is when Mm. i my left upper leg i fall asleep every time and that's where I have a lot of issues in my body, my left quad. And, yeah. and I wake up when we get to the lower legs again. So it's interesting to me yeah. to think about that from the perspective of fascia. Like what is blocked? Mm. What is, what's not going? Mm. 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 I agree. And I, uh, the, the world of body work that I'm in, sometimes I come across that where someone says, I can't feel what you're doing right now. And I go, the thing that interests me is I know I can feel that. And I go, what am I feeling? What is it that I'm, you know, I could do a rub, you know, just, you know, excite the tissue. But then I think, no, 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 the body is holding here. This body is holding something. So I think yoga nidra might just recognize that. And that sleep, as I was saying, sleep might be the best way. It's a fascinating thing how yoga nidra, you can sleep and wake up exactly at some other point. It's yeah, it's a, quite a profound practice. May, yeah, may I ask yeah. if you can put it into words, when you get to one of those spots where maybe the fascia isn't flowing as mm, normal, mm. Or maybe the prana isn't flowing, what does it feel like to you? Can you put yeah, it um, it is quite difficult to explain so when I'm massaging I can have my eyes closed or I can be in a dark space it doesn't it's not seeing that is feeling so I go what are my hands feeling so if fascia is tight the feeling is of a flattening of the tissue it flattens Mm. and it doesn't come up to my hand it's very hard to describe. So my hands are dialoguing with tissue. That's my speak with it. And I do that sometimes with yoga modification as well, with people with hands-on work in the yoga studio too. It's just that sense of, is the tissue speaking to me? And Yeah, and the experience is, as I would describe, a flattening. And you could say a cooling a cooling as opposed to the rest of the tissue, which might be warmer. 
mm. say. So, yeah. Is, is that a description, Amy? <laughs> I haven't is. tried to describe that yet. It is. You know, I've had bouts of fibromyalgia within my own body. And I think mm. when I met you, I was in a, a kind of a hard, hard stretch. Mm. And mm. that's, that's right. kind of what I feel. I feel like there's no vibrancy to the tissue, especially mm. in quadriceps, which mm. is very common with fibromyalgia is that the quads go numb. And it's almost like I have to pump some water, but also mm. energy through there to wake mm. it up again. And for me, mm. I don't know what you think of this, but lightweight training has been remarkable for me to, mm. to just like pulling from up above across my body. And I think yep. of the Tom Myers anatomy. Yes, training. exactly. That's pretty much what will be happening. Yeah. Ah, so tell us more about the Tom Myers anatomy trains. Like what, what is that about? <laughs> yeah. So again, I'm not trained in Thomas Myers, but what I've, what he's done, which is fantastic, is he's created transmission lines through the body, and he's done work across the body, at the back of the body to the front of the body, which allows us to really embrace concepts of chakra brilliantly because it he moves across the diaphragms, um, so that if say a foot is let's say the muscles of the calf say are tight it allows a body worker or actually us in a practice to see way up in the shoulder a disconnect so it's it's mapping gives you a really clear way of mapping body tension patterns it's fantastic it allows you to to follow a guide where your your work, you know, say Virabhadrasana too. I'm out of the Iyengar school here, so you've got an extension through the, both of the arms, and often people will ride into the front extended arm, and you go, let me just have a look at that right back leg here, and often you'll see that the ankle is protruding, the calf is tightened. Rather than saying to your person, pull your body back, you say extend through that right back heel and the spine comes into alignment. So it, it just gives you this, you know, visual vocabulary to, to see what might be happening within that body. Yeah. Yeah. And I there, hope he doesn't mind me describing it this way. <laughs> you probably won't hear this. <laughs> um, are there other ways that you as a body worker get the fascia to respond again to you when you feel one of yeah. those flattened areas? What, what I'm just curious because yeah. I, that can inform us as yoga therapists. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was Donna Fahi first. She lives in Christchurch, but she's a works around the world as well. She's one of the people, by the way, Amy, who says all yoga is therapy. So she's not inclined to separate as though there were two different things, yoga teaching, yoga therapy. Can, can I um, interrupt here for a minute? My yeah, yeah. very first 200-hour teacher training was in California with Donna Fahi. And ah. it was three weeks long, I think. And mm -hmm. we did things like crawling around and practicing crawling, the whole embryology mm. thing. I mean, mm. a lot of what you're talking about was my very, very first training in, gosh, 1999, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have some similar teachers. Bonnie Cohen is one of them We're with a somatic action, which has informed Thomas Meiser, you there's a lot of the, the dances, movement therapy or yoga or yoga therapy. Donna Fahi was a dancer as well, I think, actually, and just similar kind of pathway to myself coming out of injury and curiosity. Yeah. Anyway, ages ago, she talked about the different kinds of touch that mm. you can work with in a yoga as a, as a modification, I'm using that word. I don't really like it, but it's a word that's used. Touch and modification. If you're tapping, you're tapping a different tissue from if you're stroking. Mm -hmm. And if you're pressing, you're reaching a different tissue from if you're rubbing, say. So fascia responds to a couple of things that I've found is that different things. My official work has got all this quantified as well, but it, you can move tissue along the lines of transmission, or you can move tissue against the lines of transmission. 
So you can tug the tissue back into an organization, a suggested organization or reorganization. If you press the tissue that's painful, the pressure has to be light enough for the tissue to go, oh, I remember when I wasn't this tight. So it's quite slow work. Yeah. The other thing, if I want rapid work, is something that's called skin rolling. It's not really skin rolling. I mean, the whole skin is a connective tissue. So if you lift the skin and roll it, you start to create, they use an example of, say, a yacht spinnaker, where you start to balloon out the, the whole structure. You're just pulling it along the, its line of force. So that creates quite a strong, quite an immediate effect. And often then fascia requires what you could, it's like gelling. So you sit with that fascia. You don't just keep working away at it, working away at it. You sort of slow down, stop, let the tissue rest. Mm. And it does its own kind of crystallizing or gelling, you know, softening across the network. Yeah. Lots of really good ways of working with fascia. Yeah. Okay, I have a million questions right now. <laughs> Whether you tap or stroke or rub or maybe the how hard you do it or how soft you're reaching mm. different tissues, do you mean different layers of the tissue? It's it's essentially if you think if you were to take your skin off and then if you took your bones out. And you basically then you'd sort of strip away the muscles. You could still have the body form of fascia. It's called a living wetsuit in some mm. terms. So, so that's what you mean. The, yeah. the different layers would be like the skin layer versus the muscle layer versus the fascia layer. Actually, no. So all I'm interested in if I'm working with fascia is the fascia connection. So if I'm attending, say you're saying your thighs are tight we could just use that word so i might not be working on your thighs i might be working on your waist your back waist to access the psoas which will access through into the adductors which will release which will allow your thighs to coordinate say yeah i'm talking about muscles as location but i'm talking about the fascial directional network between those areas right does that make sense yeah so back yeah. to the, the point you were making, whether you tap or stroke or rub, it's going to have a different effect on the fascia. Yes, and that's to do with timing. Yeah, mm -hmm. timing and readiness. So often I work, and the same actually with yoga practices, I'm working with time, I could say space, but they're kind of the same, time, space, but timing and rhythm. Mm. So if I tap, it's to elicit a quick response. If I roll, it's to create an immediate wash response. If I move across tissue, it might be to indicate this whole area now can release. It's it's a timing, it's a dialogue around time. It's very dancerly, <laughs> very you know, rhythm, I, a rhythm is resetting the rhythm of, of the body. Yeah. You know, when I think of it, as you said, uh, electrical circuitry, I can kind of see how those rhythms and could mm. kind of reset the electrical mm. circuitry. Mm. Yeah. 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 Reduce the cacophony. So yeah. next question based on yeah. the I want to ask you, you said light or slow touch to get the tissue to remember that it once long and long ago had less tension. Mm. Is that, did I get that mm. right? Yeah. And again, it's theory, but I think of a child, say, or a baby, a baby with its potential for living life, say, to the fullest. And the, all of the events that condition that baby or child or the adolescent or the young adult or the adult as a packaging or a storing of events within the tissue. So the invitation, and I think this does come out of Bonnie Cohen's work, the invitation, I'm not going into trauma right now, I'm just talking about 
the event, the, the process really. Speaking with, to, with the tissue is an invitation to release into what could be human potential, say. And that's why I'm not really dealing specifically with trauma. So it's not this, I know there's a huge realm of psychotherapeutic valuing of releasing trauma, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm saying, what is the human potential for joy? Actually, it does come from somewhere. I always go back and think, where did I get that from? But there's a Frenchman called Hubert Goddard, who's also a Rolfer and a Feldenkrais. And he said there are four principles of movement, non-hierarchical, and they are the mechanical, the coordination, just Thomas Myers' work probably, perception, which is the yoga realm, I suppose, and then the libidinous, the joy, the joy, mm -hmm. the vitality within life. So it's bringing that through those different methods of body work back into maybe maybe you could feel joy in your thighs or in your belly or in your back or in that lightness that comes about from that. Yeah. Seem, yeah. Seems to have good effect. You know, when I listen to you, I, I just get this sense of the depth of your curiosity about consciousness <laughs> and mm, absolutely. openness and willingness to dance with these ideas, but consciousness itself through your hands, it keeps sounding like you're like, well, I'm not an expert in this. And I'm, I, I don't, you know, mm. I don't know the answers. <laughs> yeah. That's really yogic to, mm. to studied your whole life, be a lifelong learner, have a PhD continuing to study and be like, yeah, we don't really know what's happening, but here's <laughs> my experience. <laughs> this is how I feel. Yeah. 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 I love what you just said. I've got this morning as a two and a half hour session with the yoga teacher and it's right through the pandemic. He's been online. He has breaks every six weeks, I think, but we do a block. And then and I thought it's so interesting that it's like an excavation of knowing anything to mm -hmm. stay with that practice, just stay with the practice. And I'm not your best practitioner woman in the world, but I just sort of think that's all it is really. You're just, yoga is just literally, it's just within the practice. It's not even that I practice. It's just within the practice. But I do want to, you said consciousness a couple of times. Yesterday I presented a sangha and I just thought, I'm going to go all out here. <laughs> and I tried, I attempted to draw on Vaishnavism really and the kind of the debate process of what consciousness could possibly be to have a look at the cosmos, the language that supports the idea of cosmos, but have a look at the microcosm of the human body as though I'm really far out on this one, really. And someone reminded me my scale was all out of order, but um that the microcosm, that the fascia is like the sky of the body mm. as much as the sky is the cosmos itself, the cosmos atmosphere and the cosmos. And I see what is it in the human body then that allows us to navigate the material body, the, you know, the body, prakriti, I suppose, and purusha. What, what is it? And then I thought, well, obviously it's practice. It's just where it is so that we can be both one and in the other, at, you know, within the same body, existing body. And that That's what I'm saying. It goes back to this, well, what is being? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do. I have this kind of search going on at the moment and trying to use the things that I've, heard or I know in this isolated space in New Zealand, actually, I'm just going this, I have to, I have to listen to, to what I, not what I know, but what I'm hearing and see if I can pull it together. Yeah. I love that though, because in a place, say like Los Angeles, where there's yoga on every street corner, mm. it's, it's 
being taught as if I have the answers and come to my training, mm. we'll teach you everything mm. to know. And there's mm. one road to the mountaintop and we've found it. <laughs> yeah. Yoga, right? I'm not saying no, that I don't believe in tradition and yeah. indigenous ways of, of seeing the world and all of that. I do. Mm. And without that individual exploration and mm. research on your own body and your own clients, mm. like those mm have to come together right mm. yeah you i term that the respect i have for both the cultural and the biological so mm. that's what i was trying to present yesterday is that it's not enough to appropriate that's the starting point because it's there but then the only way of managing appropriation say of cultural belonging is to move back inside yourself and find the place the cosmos, I suppose, mm. from there as well. Yeah. So I've been yesterday. I was just trying to draw on Sanskrit words with that res- deep respect for their kind of etymology for how they came to shape what we know. And I I don't know if I should agree because it's just like oh, but sometimes when I watch Yogi Bear, I call it a terrible word, but of just I just think. This it's pointless. It's not pointless because more people practicing yoga, the better. But sometimes the the flesh version of it is, yeah. It's, I think it has to be encountered. We have to encounter that and say that is that. And even you know the highly spiritual versions. I go, but you need to explain what the connection is to that person in the studio on a mat can't just say the words and hope we get it. I mean, that's just it, right? That we're going towards connection with consciousness and we do have to meet the people where they are, which is in their physical body. Yeah. Not where we're going, but let's not also spiritually bypass and forget there is a body. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Are not as helpful as, let's have an internal experience where mm. the guy and the ground come together. And I think what mm. I'm hearing you say is that that experience is actually happening in our fascia. Mm. Is, is I, I too far? truly believe that I do. And I think of us in the practice, because I often hear, you know, um, in the spiritual version say no need for asana or asana are just a physical. And I think, whoa, no, hang on a minute. What are that? What is an asana? And asana is a is a location. It's a scaffold to be able to feel the cosmos, the constellation. It's and if you look at Thomas Meyer's work and you go, he has to some degree developed an idea of constellation within the body, as are the meridians, as are Nadis are not so structured in terms of constellations, but the mama points to do some of that work. So if we have these constellations, surely the design of the asana is for us to be still enough to orient around those particular places internally, right. never mind externally. The homeostasis kind of view is what I, where I was going with that. Yeah. So I, I don't debunk asana at all. I think they're really a credible source of knowing or awareness. Absolutely. And wouldn't you say in most indigenous cultures that is accepted, that your body is a source of information gathering, perception, Mm. that's not separate from the mind where most of us Mm. gather information. Yeah, yeah. 100% agree with you. So there with you. Yeah. And and that's maybe why indigenous cultures, at least in my understanding, are more embodied than our current day Mm. globalist mindset. Mm. We've become, Mm. it's almost like from the the neck up, we're living, but we've forgotten about anything from the neck down. Yeah. Yeah. My PhD was exactly about that, how dancers move into academia and lose their body. They sit at the table and, you know, if they want to practice, they've got about two feet squared in their office to move. <laughs> but how do they know any more about dancing? And I think it also happens to yoga teachers and yoga therapists, right? That we get yeah, into right. thousands of hours and we, we stop living in our own 
fascia. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hope not. Hope not, Amy. So I have one more question for you. Okay. <laughs> With regards to fascia, and I don't have a preference either way, so I'm not trying to like start a fight here, but I do want hey. to know your opinion. What do you think of all of these fascia balls and tools and you know you can roll on a ball or roll on a foam roller to kind of roll out the fascia what what do you think of all those <laughs> internal tools yeah how they touch us the pressure that they touch us yeah. with what do you think about that amy i could have a really cynical view it's the end of our interview so i'm just going to go all out here <laughs> but <laughs> well, um something nice after don't, don't you think it's just <laughs> another it's almost like an avoidance. Is it an avoidance? I don't know. Is they work? I I know they work, but what what does that even mean? What does it work? They work mean it's like oh you're now dependent on something to make you feel something. So I know Dynabands, all sorts of. Things. I've tried lots of different things, but I wonder if that is another way of taking us out of the direct experience of the body and also whether it's a fix-it mentality. I want, I just want this thing to be fixed, which is a natural way for humans to be. But if you think about the, the erosion of the human body's ability to heal itself, you would have to regard some of those things as being part of that call. We will just do this to you. We will give you a medicine. We will give you a pill. We, you know, it's in that kind of paradigm. You will be fine. You will be okay. And then I go, oh, so that means people have to all shop for those things. Is that what's going on? So I know they work within the realm of that work, but I would argue that's in the myofascial realm rather than the fascial, the full fascial network as I'm talking about, which doesn't belong just to muscles. It, it Tendons, belongs to yes, But actually, I think ligaments as well, yeah. Marrow, bone marrow. I just, you know, just what happens to a bone marrow when you rub a ball across someone's skin? Hmm, not much, I would say. So, yeah, I don't think it reaches the life force that we're talking about here. The consciousness. And, you know, I it's imagine. been my experience when I have these frozen thighs, when I'm having a little fibro episode, the foam roller does temporarily help relieve yeah. the pressure. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like the, the idea in Ayurveda of shamanam and shodhanam. There's pacification and then there's getting yeah. to the cause. And yeah, sometimes yeah. I need a little pacification. I sat at my desk. Absolutely. For That's what I'm saying too. Yeah. And yeah. I'm all for that but let's not leave it there. Yeah. It's not the cause. Yeah. It's not yeah, the cause. Sure. And as you said, there's many other ways to work with that consciousness in our body from getting in the bathtub to lifting mm -hmm. weights, to mm -hmm. looking at our anatomy trains and, you know, the cross yeah. uh, fiber. Yeah. There's just many, yeah. many ways. And then taking yeah. it into why am I sitting at my desk for 10 hours straight? Well, then, then you go literally, yeah, yeah, What it, where, where we accept this kind of condition around the seated mm -hmm. posture as though we have been, that's been imposed and we're going, oh, okay, cool, yep, okay. <laughs> and, then, and then take it deeper, what are the safety yeah. and security issues around sustenance and providing for ourselves that are making us sit mm -hmm. for 10 hours needing to roll out our thighs? Mm -hmm. Like, I yeah. just the conversation continue onward towards self-actualization, self-realization, self-regulation, and mm. not just be yeah. rubbing the ball for the next five years. Yeah. As though that were autonomy. Mm. Yeah. 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 yeah no, we're we're ending on a real high note. Anyone who <laughs> <laughs> this podcast to hear about fat <laughs> and then hears that is probably like turning us off right now. Yeah, but yeah. We're both interested in, as you say, where the sky connects to the earth through this human system and this experience mm. here and now in the body. That's that's what you mm. and I are really fascinated by. I think. Mm -mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely am. Yeah, I love what you just said. The idea of the conduit, even of I don't know the relationship to 
between sky and earth. That's another whole probably gorgeous kind of conversation. There's a really wonderful man called Tim Ingold. He lives in Aberdeen. He's got a fantastic accent. And um, he's, he looks at this, this, the rim of the earth as a skin as well. And mm-hmm. that it's not just the gravitational pull. I think he's going there somehow, but that this, the, the earth's surface is allowing us to kind of, I don't know, bounce almost off, off her. And it's kind of got this beautiful feeling of not the weightedness that gravity holds, but the kind of this feeling of lightness within the system that's available if we feel it. Yeah. Okay. So bouncy, light, vitality. I think you've described the feeling of sattva in the mind and the body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Just had to shift the perspective out of the, <laughs> the rather <laughs> darker. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't believe we said no. I said. I think we said no. Yes and, and. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yes. And. Yeah. 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 For sure. Always. Well, this has been a pleasure. I I didn't know you that well, so mm. I think we covered some really interesting ideas. Food mm-hmm. for thought. Mm, I think we're leaving with way more questions than we have answers to. And that's good. Mm, Yeah. I'm, I'm like that as well. It's just sparking off another whole direction that I'm interested in going. It is a facial kind of connection, but yeah. Well, it's about touch. Yeah. Mm, Yeah. Which is important too to your therapy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling us about the status of yoga therapy in New Zealand and then coming into this beautiful conversation about consciousness and fascia. It's been a really nice hour together. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me and letting me rave about my interests. <laughs> Where can we find you, Felicity, if we wanted to contact you or do you have a website? Is there any way? To um, get- I do have a website and I don't use it. It's, it's not laziness. It's just one of those things I decide to not, but fjcmalloy at gmail.com is my email. And we'll put this in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. And Yoga New Zealand, I'm on their website as well. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed that interview. I think where we landed is that fascia is a conduit for consciousness. And there's many ways we can impact fascia as we start to understand the human body in this new system that's just kind of really been studied and appreciated in the last 10 or 20 years. And not forgetting that the fascia is the tangible human or gross form that is allowing us to connect to consciousness. And that's super important to me that we keep that in mind, that we don't just think about smushing the fascia around, although that can feel darn good, I'm not going to lie. But what's the point of that? The point of that is to open up certain areas, to bring more vitality to those areas so that consciousness can flow through us and with us, and we can experience more joy. So, you know, I'm all for whatever tools and technologies we can use to help open up the tissues, get them responding, get them to feel more bouncy and light and vital. And remembering that the path is towards consciousness. And as I said, why are my shoulders so tight? Or why is my back so tight? Or why are my thighs frozen? Let's go there. Let's start to figure out how we can have homeostasis within our bodies, creating lifestyles that are sustainable and get the vitality to flow through the whole system so that we can experience more joy, more connection, and more lightness in this human form. And we can actually feel the divine or the consciousness through our human system right here, right now in this human experience. That's really what I'm interested in. And I think it's a really cool 
thing to think about. There's more questions than answers, as we said. So I hope you enjoyed hearing all of this. It was very high level and it's great food for thought. All right. Have a great day. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria. And Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.